disruption than dad. You ready? We're ready. I'd rather have this done. Joy to be here. Uh, there we go. Uh, I'll let whoever's handling the technology adapt my voice so you can hear me. I'm not going to try and adapt mine. Uh, this is really one of my uh, annual great joys. Um, not to be at a meeting, uh, although that is nice, but to be with long-standing friends. You notice I didn't say old friends. Uh, <laughs> And to be together with those that the Lord has joined together for his purpose. This year, of course, it, there's a bit of bittersweetness in our gathering. Um, the sweetness is that three of our treasured friends and brothers uh, have finished their course and are rejoicing in the Lord's presence now. Uh, the hope for which they spent their lives, in which they spent their lives, uh, is fulfilled for them now, and that's great. The bitterness, if I can use that term, is that it's going to take a few moments before we're able to see them again. I think when we're with them again in his presence, it will feel like the blink of an eye. Uh, but right now, I, I miss them. And uh, tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock in this room, we'll be having a memorial service for Dow, a celebration of his life, expressing our gratitude for him, uh, and our anticipation that his heritage will continue to be revealed and continue the work of the Father. Uh, I also want to mention on their behalf that uh, Gary Henley and Mike McCarty would have loved to have been here with some of the other IOM brethren, but they are either on their way or already there. When on their way next week to Kenya. On their way next week to Kenya. And... Uh, we moved our conference up a bit after they had, if I, if I remember correctly, already had plans, there were reasons, but uh, they would love to join us and are with us in spirit, and they send their, their greetings to you. This theme is terrific, and it's very, you know, there, there's very little uh, to be said that hasn't already been said. Brian's articulation... Uh, Revelation, uh, gift to us, uh, is that just this morning? Yeah, uh, was beautiful, and of course, uh, thank you, Jamie and Matt, where art thou, Matt? Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, I'm going to quote both of you, and I, I'm just really, I, I, I think, going to recap uh, the things that have been said already, and a few additional thoughts. Uh, the dis God's disruptive goodness. Uh, thanks to those of you who chose that topic. Um, one of the topics was, where's your green card? And mine's right here, actually. Um, uh, it's not green, but it's called a green card. Uh, and it is. For those of you who don't know, I'm a Canadian. Um, oh, Canada, my home and native land. Uh, This morning, uh, Brian adapted uh, uh, the title slightly, and he said, God's disruption of our disordered desires is good. Did I get that right? 
and amen. God's disruption of our disordered desires is good. I'll add my subtitle tonight as well, and it's A Journey to Joy. A Journey to Joy. I'd like to read Psalm 111, um, most of it. I'll skip a couple verses just uh, to be succinct. Hard to choose which of the Psalms to read in a situation like this or with a theme like this, because so many of them are are vibrant and and deep. Um, David's speaking out. David is speaking out of his own uh, relational reality with God. It, it's not a platitude for David, and uh, I presume Robert, this is a Davidic Psalm, isn't it? One eleven. It isn't entitled. In my book, but uh, anyway, if it wasn't David, it was one of the psalmist. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart, and in the council of the upright, and in the assembly, and that's where we are this evening. Great are the works of the Lord, they are pondered by all who delight in them. And it's interesting, there's, there's uh, more often uh, a comment about delighting in the Lord. But the psalmist here says we delight in his ways as well. And there's a, there's a distinction between delighting in what we know to be the concept of his ways and the delighting in the reality of those ways being worked out in our lives. And here, uh, the psalmist is saying that they're pondered by all who delight in them. And that's a, a very positive, uh, and I would say, I would encourage you to this reality, to ponder his ways. And to ponder them with, with, with joy and gratitude. Uh, glorious and majestic are his deeds and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. That's ultimate reality that over, um, what's the word I want? Overarches, thank you, that overarches every other reality. The ultimate reality is that the Lord is gracious. And that's not just an attitude, that's a dynamic and a power that flows from him into us uh, that sustains and changes. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. And uh, verse 7, the works of his hands, the works of his hands, the works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They're steadfast. They are steadfast forever and ever. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Uh, 
the consequence of that process, I, I, I believe that when, when the psalmist says he provided redemption, that's a consequence of the, of the process. And it's not just eternal salvation. It's a, um, it's a, um, a process that leads to an all-encompassing personal reality. That redemption unfolds and unfolds and unfolds until we're living in redemption and are living um, examples of or lenses into redemption. And that's not a product of our determination. It's a product of his grace, faithfulness, the justice of his ways, the goodness of his ways in us. Um, God's disruptions are always for our highest good. God's disruptions are always for our highest good. And, and I think that this was Matt who said it last night, and about extending his kingdom. His disruptions have two purposes. There's a twofold purpose in his disruptions. Our good and revealing himself and his ways, his rulership, extending his rulership, his redemptive kind rulership into the lives of others and into their whole social structures too, I'm sure. Now, for those of you who are taking notes, I've got four points. And the first one is God is disruptive by nature. God is disruptive by nature, at, at least from our point of view, a human point of view. I want to read Acts 9, uh, 1 to 17. This is a story about Paul's early encounter. Um, Acts 9. 1 to 17. Meanwhile, and I won't go into all the meanwhile, uh, what was going on, but Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Um, Paul had a plan, he had a purpose, he had a sense of uh, the rightness of what he was doing, and he was a man of action. He had taken action and was uh, implementing his values, and he was going after what he thought was wrong, with a very uh, clear sense that he was right in going after what he thought was wrong. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on the journey, his life was disrupted. Yeah. Um, his plans were turned upside down. His intent, his sense of purpose. Suddenly, do any of you remember Ern's teachings on suddenlies? Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? Um, that was what Saul said in response. 
uh, apparently he didn't have any idea, he didn't have a clue about the one who was disrupting him or what, what the purpose in that disruption was. What he was aware of was being knocked off his horse. And um, he said, who are you? I am Jesus. Um, that's not a bad question to ask when we are disrupted. When things transpire that uh, knock us off our horses or on his journey he fell to the ground. And, yeah, and when things happen that we don't understand and we might even you know, hear voices. Um, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. I'm, you're, I'm the one you're standing against. I am Jesus. And that was the first revelation, at least as far as I can tell from the scriptures, that Paul had about Jesus. And Jesus came very disruptively to Paul. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. I don't know what the inflection was when he said, now get up. Um, or Paul, you know, get up. Um, uh, whatever the inflection was, he said, get up. And uh, I want you to go to the city and you'll be told. He didn't say what he was going to have to do, what was going to be the, the next uh, step in, uh, as a consequence of this disruption. Uh, he just said, go to the city and then you will be told what you must do. Uh, I think Paul was probably not used to that kind of uh, treatment, shall we say. The men traveling with Saul stood there, stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground but when he opened his eyes he could see nothing. Um, sometimes that disruption leaves us in a situation of incomprehensible or incomprehension uh, of not being able to see you know, what, what is going on. The, the um, situation is dark and uh, lacks our understanding. Um, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias? Now, Ananias knew who was calling him, unlike Paul, and he said, yes, Lord. Then the Lord disrupted Ananias's situation the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about him. Uh, and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Uh, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, we've got a different kind of disruption than the disruption that Paul had, but disruption nevertheless. 
and, and Jesus was giving him instructions to do something that he neither comprehended nor wanted to do and actually was afraid to do. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, that was a step of faith on his point, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, always a man of action. Um, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Well, then the, then the, the next uh, verses that are unfolding, what happened to him, I, I wrote it down and I'm going to read it rather than try and remember it. Um, he began to preach, Paul began to preach immediately. That confused the followers of Jesus, the other followers of Jesus. They, they didn't understand. They were um, apprehensive about what Paul might uh, be doing. In fact, it uses the term that he, that he, he confused the believers. Um, and the Jews conspired to kill him. I don't know how long it was from, the, from his conversion to this point, but it wasn't very long. So Paul's confidently riding on his horse, gets knocked off. Um, encounters Jesus, is sent into the city, changes his life, starts to preach, and then the people whom he was representing, the people that he was defending, try to kill him. Um, uh, no, I won't go there. Um, they lowered him in a basket um, to save his life, um, and he went off to Jerusalem. Um, but the Jews, the, the, the believers in Jesus were, in Jerusalem were afraid. Barnabas was the one guy who seemed to have insight, and he took um, Saul then to the apostles. Then the Grecian Jews with whom Paul was talking tried to kill him. This is the second attempt on his life in a very short period of time, and the brothers took him to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Uh, I'd love to know what was in their minds. Get this guy out of here. So he's being moved around. He was going to Damascus, uh, ended up in Jerusalem, was taken to Caesarea and shipped back to Tarsus. Um, everyone in this part of the story was disrupted. On, in both situations, the Jews were disrupted, the believers were disrupted, the individuals were disrupted, in various kinds of disruption, but disrupted nevertheless. God is disrupted by nature, I think. Um, at least that's been my experience of it. Um, number two, and I'm quoting Brian again, his disruptions are a process of discipling what we love because we live out of what we love. We live out of what we love. That's profound insight. Thank you, Brian. Um, we don't live out of what we think. Sometimes we, we've got, our values can impact our actions and our choices. Sometimes our emotions can impact our choices. 
but at the, at the center of reality, and I mean real reality, which is where God lives, uh, there's so much foobar um, outside the church as well as in. Um, there's a lot of self-talk without self-revelation, and that's one of the reasons that God is so disruptive. Uh, he wants us to see what is motivating us. And he's not upset, you know, I mean, he's very kind. His compassion never fails. So we don't have to be afraid of his ways. They're just, they're faithful. Um, and he is working on our behalf in this process. Um, his disruptions are to uh, uh, just about two weeks ago Rebecca and I celebrated our 50th spiritual anniversary on the 22nd of September. Earlier this year we were planning out our schedule for the year um, and this was our 45th wedding anniversary which we thought was great and we had a growing desire to bring in a bunch of our friends to celebrate with us and we were trying to decide whether we were going to celebrate with our friends our 45th wedding anniversary or our 50th spiritual anniversary. Rebecca and I both met the Lord in 1961. I met him in August out of a very secular family up north. Rebecca out of a religious family, a religion to which she had reacted uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, 1961, that's 50 years ago. How did that happen? Uh, um, I was s sitting here watching Cooper, Cooper where are you now? He, here. And it flashed to my memory, uh, uh, your folks' wedding, and we were singing a trio together. Both of them started to cry, so I went from tenor to uh, melody line and uh, and uh, Rebecca was pregnant with Matthew our first son um, that was how many years ago uh, Matthew is 38 so that, that would have been 39 years ago 39 years ago but we wanted to celebrate uh, and the theme for our celebration was the faithfulness of God um, we sent out um, formal invitations, had programs printed in French and in English, uh, and the, the theme for the evening was to celebrate God's faithfulness. Um, now, keep in mind that uh, there are some pre-believers coming, our medical doctor who's a self-confessed secularist and two of Rebecca's physical therapists and I think eight of her nurses came, some other of our pre-believing friends, plus a bunch of other people, uh, including, interestingly, the first Belgian we met 25 years ago. Um, she was uh, a diplomat's wife, her husband had been an ambassador, I'm wandering now, I'm following a rabbit, but I think it's a worthwhile rabbit, I'll get back to this. Uh, uh, Following rabbits, chasing rabbits, what do you do? Chasing, chasing rabbits. rabbits, thank you. Uh, her husband had been, interestingly, uh, the Belgian ambassador to then Zaire, now Congo. Of course, we've had a long history with, uh, with Zaire and Congo. And then he had been the Belgian ambassador to Canada 
Oh, Canada. Uh, she had encountered Jesus uh, rather serendipitously uh, while they were, uh, while he was in Ottawa, while he was the ambassador there. They came back to Belgium and she couldn't find anybody who knew anything about Jesus. And uh, I'd say she was mad as hell uh, at the Catholic Church. Uh, and it, that's too strong, but no, she was pretty angry. Um, and uh, she, in talking with some of her friends, somebody told her that these North Americans had moved into the area. And she came over to our house and knocked on our door and introduced herself and told her story and mentioned that uh, her husband was not a believer. And of course she was processing having come through her uh, early, uh, through her Catholic history. And, uh, and Robert wasn't interested. Some of you have met Robert Vandenbroek, I think, haven't you? you uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, you guys have. And uh, within about six months, uh, he made a deep commitment to Jesus. Now, he'd grown up in close connection with the royal family. Uh, uh, Monique uh, was from a diplomatic family. Her dad had been an ambassador. And we had the privilege of baptizing him in a pool in a little Pentecostal church. Uh, and unless you've lived in Europe, you can't fully appreciate what it means to, for a diplomat to be baptized in a Pentecostal baptistry. Um, they've been wonderful friends through, uh, through the years. He passed away a couple of years ago, but she was there. Uh, and we invited people that we had friendships with. I mean, it wasn't, uh, the invitation list was very specific and determined. And 90 folks came. We invited 100 and 90 people came. Uh, that included members of the royal family, diplomats, parliamentarians, uh, a, a, a Belgian Olympic swimmer that we had met and led to the Lord about 10 years ago. Rebecca led his wife to the Lord. Uh, I led him to the Lord. Guy who works in a factory. Um, I mean, it was a real diverse situation. And it was a beautiful evening. Uh, and Rebecca and I talked to this diverse group about the faithfulness of God. Fifty years, a, a, a combined hundred years. That's still boggling my mind. Um, I don't feel old enough to have walked with Jesus for 50 years. I was very young when I, when I started. <laughs> uh, and that evening, um, we had some musical presentations. We initially thought we would sing together, but as more and more pre-believers um, RSVP'd, we realized that would be uncomfortable for them. So we asked some friends, Jim and Ann Mills, some of you may know them, and, and uh, Laura Christensen, who many of you know, Chris played, and Rebecca said, Laura, would you sing Change My Heart, O oh God? Rebecca really is one of the most godly women I know. Um, her uh, quadriplegia is now just over 10 years. She fell October 4, 2001, and uh, 
has been a quadriplegic for 10 years. And uh, those of you who know her or who have been there, uh, she's a remarkable gal. Um, and she's at 50 years walking with Jesus. She's saying, Lord, change my heart. Change my heart. Uh, and I can't even remember what the... What the the, oh yeah, this is the disruptive, the disruptions are a process of discipling what we love because we live out of what we love. You know, at, at 50 years of following him, um, and we're still very much in that process. And it's a process of his change on the inside to enable, not just to enable us, but to, um, there's another word I'm looking for, that love would be the fundamental motivation of everything that we do and say and think. Our love for him, of course that's what he desires more than obedience or faith or service and love for one another. That's the heart of what Jesus said. And that's not just a choice. It becomes an inner reality out of disruption. Third point is disruptions change us. Uh, they don't just teach us something, they change us. Um, being taught something is real overrated. Now, in the West, it's very important. Uh, we get through four years of university and we've got a degree. Whether or not we've internalized it, whether or not we can do it, we've been in the classrooms, we've gotten the information. Sometimes I could wish that uh, this business of the heart was as simple as that. But disruption changes us. I want to read uh, a chapter actually that I read last year here. I think it was last year. Um, but it's sure worthwhile reading again and it fits into this. It's the Second Corinthians 12 chapter that uh, had been a lifelong uh, insight for us and certainly something in which Rebecca and I have had to live. Starting with verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me, it was a gift, a disruption, um, and the disruptive um, source was Satan. Um, now that, you know, that, the only way to get your mind around that is to realize that his throne rules over all. And that the enemy isn't his dark opposite. It isn't, you know, God's here and the devil's there. Uh, and they're in competition. The enemy is a, is a creature, he's a created being. Um, but he is, if I can use the term, God's whipping boy. And the enemy himself is used in the processes of God. The enemy was essential to our redemption. He didn't know it. In fact, if he had understood what was happening, he sure would never have had Jesus crucified. That was his death now. But he thought it was his victory. And, uh, 
I believe he was thinking, well, we finally, we have finally done it. Um, so in this process of disruption, um, if I can encourage you, don't get confused. Um, as followers of Jesus, uh, who are living a life out from under his leadership, all things are presently working together into his plan for good. That is not a post facto promise to be tacked onto the end of a negative experience. It's a way of viewing life. And when Rebecca fell down those stairs and broke her neck, she knew um, that there was a providence that was overarching it. That flies in the face of our Western anticipations, even maybe especially Christian anticipations that you know, bad things can't happen to good people and if you've got enough faith, uh, it's all going to go well. And if it doesn't go well, it's either the devil, which it might be, um, but there's somebody bigger than the devil, or that you, know, you messed up, which you might have. Uh, but neither of those things count, really. What counts is that we have a, a father who's overseeing. And even if he opens uh, the way for the enemy to attack us, um, and Paul said to torment me. I mean, these are pretty strong words, and, um, but you're a strong group. Um, Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see the exchanged life taking place? It's not an idea. Um, it's not a decision. It's a subordination with anticipation to the disruptions of God that he is working kindly. What was Brian's? To, um, well, I'll, I'll adapt his words, to reorder our disordered desires at, at, at the fundamental level of who we are. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And it's that inner reality of I'm in him and he's in me and he's in the Father and that wonderful mixture to which he is moving. And Paul said, you know, can you abbreviate this process? Uh, uh, is there a third option? Um, I remember years ago reading John 15 and said, you know, if you're not fruitful, you're going to be cut off. If you are fruitful, you're going to be pruned. Hmm. Um, number three? <laughs> you know, is, is, isn't there another option? Uh, but the best option is pushing us into him, pushing us into the, the, the substantive reality of his grace on the inside. My power 
is made perfect in your weakness. And you've heard me say this, I'm sure. Weakness is not a point that we visit and pass through and say, yes, I know I'm weak. I felt it back then. You know, we abide in weakness. Consequently, we abide in his power. Therefore, you remember Bob saying, wherever you see a therefore, find out what it's there for. Um, therefore, this is amazing. This is amazing. Um, and this isn't a statement of faith, as far as I can tell. It's a statement of reality. It's Paul's reality. Because he understands the purpose, the good purpose of disruption. What is the title again? It, God's disruptive goodness. I, I like that. You know, disruptive is an adjective. And the uh, noun is goodness. That's not mine, is it? Oh, okay. Um, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. I'll boast. And I'll be glad. I'll boast all the more gladly so that Christ's power may be may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight. I've meditated on that for 30 years. Um, I delight. And I, it wasn't the, uh, I'm going to give thanks in this. Um, although that's not a bad place to start, whereas Philip, uh, you know, making those choices are better than not making those choices. But just making the choice is the beginning of the journey. It's not the end of the journey. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults. Well, it makes my muscle in my middle finger, um, what do you call it? Um, twitch, thank you. Um, so this is, this is real body ministry here. Uh, In hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am disrupted, then Jesus is revealed. Uh, disruptions change us substantially at the center of who we are. And my fourth point this is a good one. <laughs> and it's true. That change results in joy. That change results in joy. That's why I subtitled uh, my part of this uh, sharing, A Journey to Joy. And Jesus said it. He said about his peace as well as his joy. And this in peace in John... 14 and joy in John 15. Um, I've said this so that you might have my joy and your joy will be full. It, I understand a little about going through the process. And I'm understanding more and more about the results of that process. And the results really are joy. Um, it's nice to have joy in what's transpiring around us. 
But we don't have to have that. Because um, that's not where it comes from. Uh, this process leads us to the reality of his joy. I think that's why, and I, I, I couldn't remember today where this verse is, but this is another one that goes back, oh, 40 years. Standing on tiptoes with the expectancy of seeing the goodness of God in the land of the living. So in all of this process, and sometimes it's, sometimes it's dark, we can't see, you know, we feel like we've been knocked off our horse. Sometimes he tells us to do something that you know, we think is going to get us killed or whatever. There are lots of different ways. But in that process, there's a validity to always stand on tiptoes anticipating the reality that we will experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. So God's disruptive goodness, um, that goodness is the outcome. And joy is the outcome of that goodness. Thank you.